Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, I, Carl! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. <laughs> Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Oh, well, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The journey to a COVID-19 vaccine began decades ago with research on earlier coronaviruses. Scientists built on that with months more of research and development, worldwide cooperation, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of diverse volunteers. Finally, they arrived at a safe, effective vaccine. The next step on the journey is yours. Discover the facts at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program, paying tribute to uh, International Women's Day today. Um, Joining me this hour is one of the authors of uh, the New York Times bestseller, Womanomics, and uh, also... um, talking about a a new book called uh, Living the Confidence Code, which is a follow-up to a best-selling phenomenon, The Confidence Code for Girls. And the new book stars uh, someone that that everyone uh, where I live um, should be familiar with. Little Miss Flint is uh, playing a starring role in uh, the book Living the Confidence Code. My guest is Claire Shipman. She joins me by phone. Hi, Claire. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Claire, I I mentioned you were one of the authors of this book. Who are the other two? Well, they're both um, good friends and colleagues now. Caddy Kay, uh, she's an anchor for the BBC, my longtime friend here in Washington, and she and I started working on books together. I don't even want to count how many years ago. (laughs) The Womenomics it scares me when I have to actually add up those years now. So this is really our fifth book together, if you count a journal we did. And then Jill Ellen has helped us with the books for girls. She's got a background in writing for teens and tweens, and she's just been an incredible partner in this. And um, we just had so much fun identifying all of these girls. Yeah, yeah, tell me um, a little bit about about the book Living the Confidence Code, and and in particular, I'm I'm curious to know how Little Miss Flint uh, found her way into your writing. Well, 
Little Miss Flint, we'll talk about her in a minute because she's a superstar, as you know. But um, we wrote, uh, after Womenomics, we wrote a book called The Confidence Code. And that really got at this issue we had noticed as we were talking to so many women around the world about work, life, which was this kind of bizarre lack of confidence we would observe. And we ended up quantifying that, digging into where confidence comes from. And we, we really realized there's a pretty profound confidence gap between men and women, especially in the workplace. When we dug into that and looked at remedies and how we make confidence, one of the things that stood out to us is that this drop happens right around puberty for girls. So that got us really obsessed with what could we be doing to encourage confidence creation in tweens, essentially, and help them gird against this this drop. And that's why we wrote The Confidence Code for Girls, which is really about helping girls learn to take risks and that failure's okay, because that's how we make confidence in life, as it turns out. It's by doing. And the more we do and the more we screw up, to put it bluntly, and learn that it's okay and learn from all of that, the more confidence we stockpile. And so... With this book, we wanted to help girls essentially learn from other girls because we realized, you know, we're two ladies talking to them. That's not as effective. And um, and these stories of teen girls around the world are just incredible. And they 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 struggle. They fail. They're not they're not all perfect. They didn't all have these smooth trajectories to the top. And of course, on our list as we started to look around, of course, Mari Kopany was was there. I mean, she's just extraordinary the thing the things she's done and her personality is so infectious um and i mean you know the story but just from what what's her focus on flint and the water problem and then sort of having the audacity to just reach out to the president and, yeah. and make that happen yeah, it all and started then, it all started with a letter to barack obama that's right and she says what i love about it she said you know she was really wanted to do something, but she said when she decided to write to the president, she said, I just, I really didn't think anything would happen, right? She thought, I'm just going to do this, but she didn't really expect a response. And and she talks about how it even felt sort of silly to her, which I think is so helpful for other girls, right? Because you, we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes not doing things. Um, And it turned out that she got a response, and eventually he came to Flint, Michigan. And, uh, and and that was a really powerful lesson for her and just the power she has. How is it that, that young girls don't take those risks? What What is it about um, not developing the same confidence as young boys? Is it something the media promotes? Is it something in parenting? Are, are they taught not to not to have that sense of uh, self-confidence you know it's a really really great question and there is like as as is the case with almost everything it is sort of part nature part nurture so girls you know and this was a controversial to us anyway part of our original book for women right there there are in fact some hormonal differences brain differences between men and women and by the way, when I say that, it's we're all on a spectrum, right? My brain on any given day might look more like, I don't know, a typically masculine brain. Like it's 
we're all on a spectrum, but there are enough differences that it's really worth talking about, and partly because of hormones. So testosterone and estrogen, which are really, you know, they're in very different quantities in in men and women, make a big difference in terms of risk-taking on the one hand. Testosterone is a big boost for risk-taking. And on the other hand, estrogen can be a big boost for sort of listening, higher EQ. Empathy. uh, Empathy. So girls at a younger age have a more natural ability to listen, read people's emotions, understand what's expected of them, right? And feel other people's feelings. Now, that's actually a huge asset in terms of being a female leader today, right? There's all sorts of literature on why all of that's an asset. But what can happen, Tom, it's really interesting, is that the way we socialize girls is a problem because from an early age, we rely on that and we encourage it a little bit too much. And so what ends up happening is what parent or teacher doesn't want their girl listening all the time, getting perfect grades, being the good girl, pleasing, right? We love that behavior. But boys aren't really even capable of that behavior. So they learn earlier that it's, oh, well, I've screwed up again, but guess what? The sky didn't fall down. Girls are learning all the way through college. I'm valued for being perfect. And so what they learn also is it's too scary to take risks, right? They evaluate risks really differently, like trying out for something or trying something new. It all seems like that might produce failure, and they don't want to risk that. And so what we've realized is there's sort of this backwardness about our approach in education because that's not what the real world values you know we're having this uh, this conversation claire on international women's day and every media outlet that i tuned into uh, early this morning was commemorating international women's day in some way including you know including my show today mm-hmm. What happened last year? Well, let's not do last year because we'll just assume that COVID crushed it like everything else. But, you know, what happened in 2019? Did it get the kind of attention that it's getting this year? And and why now? It's you been mean, around why forever. International Women's Day, right. I, you know, I think there's been an increasing recognition. I mean, it, it's just a slow drumbeat. I'm not sure so much that it's, COVID, it may be that we have, look, we may have finally have our first female vice president, right, which is really exciting uh, in terms of a gender change. I think there's also been a recognition this year that um, female leaders around the world have done probably a more extraordinary job of leading their nations in terms of the COVID challenge in many cases. And then I also think there's just been a an increased dialogue around the power of women post Me Too, right? There's almost a sort of, let's just say it mentality that I think is out there uh, more. So, I, I mean, I've certainly seen generally a focus in the last four or five years that's more heavy on International Women's Day. But I think you're right. This year in particular, events seem to have collided to produce um, a drumbeat around it. You know, it just it it just surprises me. Uh, you know, at first glance, for me, Claire, I thought, well, 
you know, maybe this is just one of those things where, you know, it seems like everything has a day. Right. <laughs> and, exactly. And it's, yes. And it's Do easy to miss them. we have any days them. left? I don't even know if we have any regular days left anymore, right? It's no, just, I think there are shared true. days. And, um, <laughs> and, and in fact, um, uh, National Hispanic Heritage Month straddles a month, <laughs> which I thought was right. interesting. It's yeah. partly in September and partly in October, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. But, but hmm. it, it, um, it struck me odd, and I looked it up, and I see that, you know, it's, it's very early beginnings go back to 1909. But the United Nations adopted March 8th as International Women's Day in 1977. It's been around for a long time, and I'm noticing it for the first time. And I'm not saying that I catch everything, but I do kind of pay attention, and I just wonder why. It it just occurred to me to wonder why is it all of a sudden this year we're acknowledging, you know, Women's Month of March and International Women's Day on March 8th. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's all of these conversations are fantastic. I mean, I watch it with my daughter and she picks, she's 15. She picks up on this, not in the same way, right? She's not sitting and listening to a 45 minute radio show all the time, but she, (laughs) she will listen to, unfortunately, she'll listen to bits and pieces of the news and podcasts and it, and it makes a difference, right? She sees this stuff. And it, it's funny because we, we wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago, Caddy and I and Jill Ellen, about role models and the power of role models and really getting it in a way what you're talking about, right? That there's this kind of suddenly there's this sort of everywhere you look, it's like, look at this woman, look at that woman. Like, you know, there's this collective pointing, right? From Kamala Harris on to, you know, Nobel Prize winning scientists. And, and we were saying, you know, it, it, um, it matters. It helps to know there are women in these positions because that's the first threshold, right? At least you can do it. But what girls really need is actually, and this is what we were trying to do in this book, is the full story of what it took to get there, bumps and all, right? Or the full story of a human being because sometimes just the, the focus on all these symbols or, or on women symbolically can be intimidating and less meaningful than if you're really sitting down with your daughter to talk about, you know, to, to really give her, well, what were the values that allowed her to get there? What were the hurdles she overcame? It wasn't always that easy, right? The context really helps. Well, Claire, I want to dig in and uh, talk some more about the, um, about the book and about some, some different examples of women, and in particular, um, young women who serve as role models for peers. Um, mm-hmm. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? I have to go to a break here. I would love that. Thank you. All right. My guest is Claire Shipman, one of the authors of a, uh, a new book called Living the Confidence Code. And we're going to talk more about that uh, with Claire in uh, just a moment. But if you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions of my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner.
Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with Claire Shipman. Claire is one of the authors of uh, Living the Confidence Code, The Science and Art of Self-Assurance, What Women Should Know, which uh, came out toward the uh, end of last month, uh, just in time for Women's History Month, and, of course, uh, very appropriate for today, Women's History Day. Um, And Claire joins me by phone. Claire, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> um, Claire, in the in the last segment, we talked a little bit about the fact that uh, Little Miss Flint was featured in the book "Living the Confidence Code." Uh, but what were some of the who were some of the other women that you focused on, and and what was the criteria for selection? <laughs> we have we got that question at a book event recently on Zoom from a, a young teenager, you know, how did you pick them? And I have to say, we, um, we at first we thought, this is going to be hard to find 30 teenagers, that was what we wanted, around the world really doing cool things. This is going to, and can I tell you, we could have five books. <laughs> That's interesting because, you know, as I think, without, you know, without referencing your book, um, I, I can think of two, and one of them, I can't even remember her name, and I should be able to, the the young woman that stood up at the uh, United Nations. and, and um, Oh, Greta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly, Greta Thunberg. Well, Greta yeah, comes and to mind, our, and of course, uh, yeah. Mari comes to mind, Little Miss Flint, mm-hmm. you know, but being in Flint, how could she not? It'd be like not, not knowing <laughs> about Clarissa Shields, but... Um, it's uh, it's it's fascinating to find, especially since we were talking in the last segment about you know young women not developing self confidence or or losing their sense of self confidence at around puberty and and then to find so many examples. I, how did you manage to? know where they were I, I mean now you know where they well, all are but you know we're we're journalists so all of us <laughs> are really good at researching digging up facts you know not taking no for an answer and we would we sort of scoured the world initially just googling reading and then we reached out to a lot of international girls organizations really helped us the Malala Fund um, Mrs. Obama's organization helped us Plan International helped it. So there's a, there are a lot of organizations that were really valuable, vital voices in pointing us in directions. And then I would say we um, what we were really looking for was girls who had teenagers. So that was hard because we really wanted them to be the same age as you know, well, not that much older than the girls we're writing for, but um, girls who had accomplished something but weren't just heroes or superstars to the extent that they'd be intimidating or or even if they'd done something like that we wanted their story to clearly reflect some amount of struggle and failure and and i guess even more importantly that they could express that to us and were willing to share that that they too saw that as something that had been instrumental and so you know and then we wanted girls from different parts of the world we wanted girls of different races ethnicities girls you know girls who might be trans girls who might have you know just all 
we, we were just looking to cast a wide net so that most girls could find something they could relate to in the book. Um, and we have girls, I mean, the stories are incredible. I mean, there's a girl who, Yakaba, uh, who's Ethiopian, who negotiated her way out of her child marriage. So again, this is a story that is for maybe for American girls that might feel like something they're not going to experience. But the way she deconstructs her struggle and figures out how to find allies and eventually convinces her father, I think can feel very similar to a lot of girls. Taylor Fuentes, who's a young girl in California who isn't not is not Greta Thunberg trying to save humanity from global warming, but face something so many girls face, which is intense bullying. And she and that can be really frightening to stand up to. And she talks about how she finally decided to talk about it and then and then influence other girls. Um, there's a young woman, Celia, in Guatemala, whose story is just unbelievably powerful and I think representative of so many girls in you know countries with less means where her fight was just to be able to stay in school after her mother left the family and she was caretaking for her siblings and just really wants an education. Um, Autumn Peltier, who's a, an environmental activist. Uh, so, so we just have, you know, girls who focused on autism, girls who focused on getting the right kind of books and libraries for girls who might look more like them. And I, it's so empowering. And I, I think to your question about, okay, yes, there's a confidence drop. So here are all these amazing girls doing things. Wait a minute. I think what we have found is that this generation, and this is very exciting, is a generation of activists and doers, right? And that's probably girls and boys. They're just out there. They want to do things. They want to make change. But girls are, are especially motivated in this way. And it's really important because one trick for building confidence is that's important for parents and girls to know is once you start to focus on an issue bigger than yourself, you actually get a confidence boost. It's easier to take risks if you feel internally you're working on behalf of something else. That's that's interesting. And, and I was going to ask if there was some uh, some trait that these young women had that made them take on these challenges that maybe all girls have and maybe don't know it yet. You know, I, I, I wonder that too. So there is some research, you know, Kathy and I, in all of our books, we've been really science focused, right? And so we really always drive it down to sort of what, what's the science on this? What are the studies on this? What is, and, and, we, we really dug into this issue of our girls and women. There are some studies that show that girls and women feel more um, passionately about or more driven by the needs of others and maybe, and maybe helping, right? So if you look at it in grown women, women will often opt for less money, but as long as the organization they're working for seems to be making a difference, right? They will they'll sort of prioritize what the organization is doing over compensation. And that is reflected in a variety of other studies too. And I think there's 
that may be part of what we talked about earlier that has to do with the sort of empathy factor and that that kicks in earlier and in some cases just remains stronger. So I think it is almost a, a secret weapon for a lot of girls. And in, and in many ways, Tom, it's interesting because I think that in the past had often been seen as a liability, right? That was sort of a feminine way of working or thinking that wasn't sort of bottom line oriented. And I think now what organizations and countries are starting to see is that that that's actually kind of value-based leadership and it's really, it can be really powerful. And so I think for girls to unlock that a little bit is incredible. But I, I have to be honest, it's, it's actually really useful for all teenagers, boys and girls, right? You just, when you get your head out of thinking about yourself, you're, you just get out of the quagmire that can sort of pull you down as a teenager. How many stories did you include in the book? We have 30 stories, um, and a couple of the stories are involve sisters or one, an Afghan robotics team. So there, there are a few more than 30 girls in the book, but we have 30 stories. And in putting these stories together, did you find from these young girls that there were mentors or role models that um, influenced them and, and the actions they ultimately took? That's another great question. Some, it, yes, but not always the same, right? There was no sort of, there was no kind of, it was always the mother. <laughs> um, thank goodness, because that's a lot of pressure for mothers. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't want any more stories about how mothers make all the difference. Because I was like, no, I want there to be other influences too. Um, so the, very often um, a key adult ally is, is really important. Um, the, the ability that a, a, one of these young girls might have to know they could reach out to, often it was a parent. In many cases, it was a father. Um, often it was, though, a teacher, right? Who, somebody mm -hmm. in some cases where society or parents weren't as um, open to what, the, what their daughter was trying to do in the case of Yakaba and her marriage in Ethiopia, reaching out to a teacher or an outside organization to get some strength was often useful. And then for a lot of the girls, yes, they, they were just directly motivated by heroes or heroines. I mean, Riley Morrison, who convinced Steph Curry to make girls basketball shoes, right? I mean, she was obsessed with him, right? And so she loved watching him play basketball. And there, you know, and for a lot, a lot of girls were watching other sort of great, you know, Gandhi, or they would talk about just people who had taken different paths that they admired. So it was a combination of, of role models and inspiration, I would say. Did you find, by and large, that they were somewhat in a bubble of their own making because of a cause that was important to them? Or are they very aware of other young girls and other causes um, that are out there? You know, that's a great question, too. I think for most of them, they were because often they started these efforts when they were fairly young and they're not as connected to the world yet. I mean, in some ways, teenagers are, are more connected than we are now. But 
some of these girls started before they were just heavily in any social media. And then some of them just live in places where there's not that much access. So they really are in a bubble. I mean, here one, one thing that was really interesting is there's a, a young woman who's, who's remarkable, Amika George. She lives in London and she's in college now. But she started a period empowerment movement, which was kind of a uh, getting rid of period poverty in the UK so that girls who couldn't afford sanitary napkins, right, could get them for free so they could go to school. Well, she's doing this on a very broad scale. There's a young woman, Dexa in Nepal, who is in a complete isolation, battling social conventions in her village where that kept girls home a third of the month because they just were viewed as unclean and unable to study during that time. And she has no idea that this is something that's going on in, more broadly. And she just starts to champion it, finding allies and slowly convincing her community that this is the right thing to do. In, in the research for the book, when you had selected the, the young girls that you wanted to include, were you able to talk to all of them directly, or is some of it secondhand? No, we, we were able to reach them all directly. In some cases, um, we a couple of girls, because they didn't speak English, we emailed back and forth with translation. <laughs> right. But in almost all, every other case, um, it was... Uh, phone call and a recording and then a bit, you know asking questions uh, that way we weren't really able to travel around the world that that would have been our dream but there wasn't the budget for that and it wouldn't have been I don't think it would have let us do such an international book actually but um, but we've been back and forth with them a lot and we're still in touch and they've really been incredible about talking about the book on social media and I think they're excited to be part of this group of girls now Claire, you sort of hinted earlier that uh, that this book might be targeted to young women in particular. Well, it's it's aimed at middle grade readers, which okay. technically means eight eight to twelve. And so we really tried to keep in mind. I mean, for eight year olds, it might be a parent reading it with them, but I don't. I'm, I think most eight year olds could get through it. But I um, I think girls. My own daughter finds the stories interesting. She's 15. And I've had women I've talked to who are reading this to write a blog about or something say, I'm really inspired by these girls. And so I think because for a lot of women, uh, I think sometimes these struggles and the things we deconstruct in their stories and the the issues they run up against and their feelings about how on earth were they going to overcome it, it feels kind of universal to us as women. I think, oh, yeah, I could see feeling that way. And I think um, there's something about it that is a relief almost to think also, wow, this, this generation of girls is going to really help us. I, I just couldn't help wondering if you approached the book with young women in mind. Um, it would mm. certainly be a different um, audience than, for example, uh, your bestseller, uh, Womenomics. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, and that is not, I mean, we, you know, yes. So the stories are written very much for young women and written in a way that would make them accessible. I mean, 
you know, we start Mari Kopany's story with Mari will never forget what she started to see coming out of her faucets when she was eight years old. Brown, smelly water causing people's eyes to burn, skin to break out, hair to fall out. I mean, we, you know, they're stories and we wrote them. We wanted them to feel like short stories because we know that's the way we all learn best, right? But girls really relate to stories. And additionally, each girl sent us a really fun picture that we played with and have sort of Instagrammy doodles on. And then we also deconstruct the stories to some extent with arrows and sort of, this is a confidence quicksand moment. This is a confidence building block moment, right? Just kind of help, help girls learn along the way. And, and did you, so you started out with that in mind. It wasn't a case where you collected all these stories and then at the end went, you know, wait, this would be great for young girls. No, no, we really wanted to, we thought after the Confidence Code for Girls did so well that the next step was how can we, how can we relate to them in an even more direct way with stories? Because we, we had little stories at the end of our first book and our feedback from girls was that they really liked those. And so we thought this would just be the best next step. And in fact, we, we got really good news last week that after our first week that we we hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list in our category so we're we're super excited about that and hope it reflects that this is something girls would like probably it reflects that parents think it's going to be great for the girls but we think the girls are going to like it too so they're um that's that is great news Claire and congratulations on that because it's only been out for two weeks I know. I'm so excited. I don't know if it, I, you know, I want to be confident and say, of course we thought we would, that would happen. <laughs> but actually, we're all stunned. And we're like, we, what happened? Is that just because of COVID and everybody's so desperate for good news stories? Or we, we don't know. But I think um, it might be that, right? Well, People reading, reading read is, is up dramatically this mm-hmm. last year. And, yeah. and so, you know, that may play a role, but, you know, it could be you just wrote a good book, Claire. <laughs> it could be that. We always tell women when we're giving speeches to women that anytime we say, women tend to say when they're thanked for something, they say, oh, no, I didn't really do anything. I was just lucky that we say, nope, not allowed to say that anymore. You have to own what you've done. So, yes, I think we wrote a great book. But I will say the girls' stories have really helped us write a great book. Well, that's, you know, now you're kind of <laughs> preaching to the choir there, Claire, because whenever te- people tell me I have a, g- a good radio show, uh, you know, my humility starts to kick in. But it it really is about the guests and the stories mm-hmm. they share. You know, I have to acknowledge that, you know, much as you just did with the with the stories that you tell in the book, they're based exactly. on real people and real things they did, and um, and and it's a, a tremendous example to young people, as you point out. Yes, yeah, I think I love stories, and this book made me realize again. I've loved the science of what we've done with our other books and the research. 
But this was such a great mix for me of the storytelling I was doing when I was working for sort of Good Morning America or other news organizations. And, and that was my favorite thing to do as a journalist is how do we, how do you really tell somebody's story in a remarkable way or help them tell their story? Because it's just, we all learn so much from it. And, and that's often the most human way to get information is uh, through the experiences of others. And I really hope that, especially at this moment in our country when people still seem so divided, I feel like being able to just focus on these girls and their accomplishments and their girls who are, you know, girls who might be from conservative families, girls who might be from liberal families, girls who, you know, spend an enormous amount of time thinking about God and religion and girls who probably don't. And, but they're all, uh, they're just all remarkable people. And I think it, I'm really hoping that that, that comes across and is, um, can just be an asset and a wonderful way to get people thinking and on a higher level plane. Well, and it's remarkable that they have uh, you, Claire, and uh, and Caddy and Jill Ellen to tell their stories and to um, to share this information so that more young girls can can benefit from that. We're we're just about at the end of our time, Claire. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. Um, <laughs> Me neither. But it's it's been a real uh, a real pleasure talking with you, and I appreciate you sharing. Uh, some of the stories and, and some of the information about what went into the book. Um, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about and um, more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Obviously, the book, Living the Confidence Code, or any of the Living the Confidence Code uh, books, um, is a great place to start but uh do you have a website we do we have um confidencecodegirls.com we, we have an adult website too the confidencecode.com but all of our information is really on our confidence code girls site and you can figure out how to learn more about jill ellen or me or caddy or any of these books we have a we have a course we've created for women around confidence too that i think really fun to take um and i we're just uh we love feedback so we're eager either in reviews or on our website we have an instagram account also at confidence code girls so we just love feedback and to hear what people are thinking about all this well thanks again for spending this time with me this morning claire i really appreciate it thank you tom i appreciate it too what a gift take care that was uh claire shipman who is uh one of three authors, uh, including Caddy Kay and Jill Ellen Riley, um, who have uh, written the book Living the Confidence Code, The Science and Art of Self-Assurance, What Women Should Know. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. But if you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages 
as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There still is a little bit more. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. As the First Lady of the Land, we realize your time is limited, and therefore we're grateful for the opportunity to take this tour of the White House with you. It's a great pleasure to have all of you here today. Thank you. We thank you. Is there any particular place where you'd like us to start? I thought you all might begin your tour here. Uh, the White House is an enormous building. How large a staff do you have to do the housework here? I mean, who actually keeps this place clean for you? The wives of senators, congressmen, and many officials in Washington. Oh, is this the president's office? Talking whispers in tiptoe. Dr. J. Willis Hurst, Dr. Marion Now, where are we now, madam? I think I recognize this. This, I believe, is the blue room. Would that be right? No. Well, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I can't help but notice how many rare and valuable works of art are actually here in this one room. It's been a wonderful addition, a silver coffee urn that belonged to um, the first president to inhabit this house, John Adams. Is that this piece right here? I'm sorry, was that the coffee urn? No. Thank goodness, I was afraid it might have been. What was it? That wonderful and, and enormously valuable bust. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> this is a lovely hallway. I think it is it's one of the most beautiful in the White House. This is an interesting bedroom. Is this the bedroom where you and the president sleep? Yes, war was declared twice in this room. <laughs> One thing I've noticed, the walls are covered with fine paintings, but why, why do all these great masterpieces have mustaches penciled onto them? Could you say no to the president? <laughs> Thank you. 
this is one of the newer rooms in the White House, isn't it? No. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> How would you best describe him? The brainiest, most devoted, most hardworking. Well, that's a very good description of your husband. Yes, I can hear him saying it right now. <laughs> Are those your dogs out there? The beagles, out there under the trees. Yeah, they're wonderful dogs. They must give you a great deal of pleasure. You know, one looks as though she might be about ready to have pups. Is that possible? I could tell you, but that's just a real personal question. You used to have quite a couple of other dogs here when you first moved into the White House, isn't that so? There used to be uh, 20 or more, now there are only about four. Well, I understand that they were Great Danes, and you got rid of them because they weren't housebroken. Yes, the children used to walk on stilts up and down the hall. <laughs> now is, I believe, the James Madison guest room? Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt guest room, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I understand this is the reading room where your husband comes to relax after a busy day downstairs in his office. I think the answer is yes. Then this would be the green room. No. Oh, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> We know your husband to be a very well-dressed man. Would you tell us what he wears when he's just lounging around the White House? No. <laughs> we seem to be back at the main entrance. We'd like to thank you for being so patient with us and for giving up your valuable time. I must say I loved it. One uh, final question, if we may. I can't help but look around this house and feel the aura of history. History does not stop. Exactly. And knowing that you are a great student of this nation's history, I wonder if you'd recall for us the actual words which the Indians spoke as they greeted Columbus on his arrival at our shores. Welcome to the LBJ Ranch. <laughs> this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
it up for today's uh, International Women's Day edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks to uh, all of my guests, uh, including this last hour with uh, Claire Shipman, one of the authors of Living the Confidence Code, the Science and Art of Self-Assurance, What Women Should Know. And uh, another uh, book, uh, paying tribute to mothers called A Mother's Grace, Healing the World One Woman at a Time, written by Michelle Moore, who joined me during the second hour of our three-hour tour. And we started off today with uh, journalist and author Julia Cook talking about her uh, book, Come Fly the World, The Jet Age Story of the Women of Pan Am. I'll see you tomorrow at 9. Good night, everybody. The program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. 
This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.